welcome to the sermon podcast for Ashburn Baptist Church, Chicago. We pray the message you are about to hear is a blessing and an encouragement to your life. Today we're continuing a series that we've titled Pioneers, because life is often called a journey, and for all of us, this journey is unchartered territory. We've never been here before. We don't always know the right answers. We don't always know the wrong answers. We don't always know what to do, and we don't always know what not to do. We are pioneers in life. When I was a little kid, me and my brother, we would dress up. He was Daniel Boone, and I was Davy Crockett. Maybe you can remember the old school Disney movies. And we would dress up just like him. Coonskin hat, old Bessie with an orange tip gun, riding our bikes all over the place. And we explored the woods. We lived in central Virginia, and we had woods on our land. We had a giant hill, and we would explore that thing nonstop, trying to find out where to go and explore new places. We considered ourselves to be pioneers. Picture it with me. Ten-year-old Josh, coonskin hat, old Betsy in my belt loop with an American flag with 50 stars stapled to a broom mop, riding up and down the street yelling, the British are coming. My history teacher had his work cut out for him in a few years. It was completely historically inaccurate, but we had a great time fighting redcoats every single day. It was historically inaccurate, but in our minds, we were just that. We were pioneers in life. And in the Old Testament, we find perhaps no other than the greatest pioneer of all time and a guy named Moses. Moses, as we've learned, is the guy who brought down the Ten Commandments from the mountain. Moses is the guy who split the Red Sea so that the Israelites could walk through on dry ground. Moses was the guy who led the people out of Israel or out of Egyptian captivity. Moses was the guy who was afraid in every area of his life until he met God face to face. Over the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at that conversation with God. Because in that conversation, Moses was equipped with God's closeness. He was in the very presence of God. But not only was he equipped with closeness, he was also equipped with calling. He has literally been called to go back and rescue the Israelites out of Egyptian captivity. But not only God's closeness, not only God's calling... Moses was filled beyond his capacity with God's presence. God was going with him wherever he went. And those things should be enough, but for Moses, it was not. He was still afraid. The very next words out of his mouth was, God, they will not believe me. Nobody will listen to me. God then equipped Moses with a staff, and not just any staff, but a staff that was surrendered over to God. And that staff, as we learned last week, did dozens of miracles for Moses. It was an incredible equipping from God. And still, Moses is afraid. He has God's calling. He has his closeness. He has his capacity. He has a staff, and it's still not enough. Here's the next words out of Moses' mouth in verse 10. Moses says to God, O Lord, I'm not eloquent, either in the past or since you've spoken to your servant, but, but I'm slow of speech, of a slow tongue. God, God, please just send somebody else. Like, ashamedly, we've all been in that place, the place where God provided for us, looked out for us, helped us, sustained us, empowered us, and yet here we are still feeling insecurity. Here we are still feeling doubt, still feeling worry, still feeling like somebody else can do this. And here's how God responds to Moses. In verse 14, he says this, Is there not Aaron, 
your brother, the Levite. I know Aaron can speak well. Behold, he's coming out to meet you. When he sees you, he's going to be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him and put words in his mouth, and I'll be your mouth. And with his mouth, I will teach you both what to do. He will speak for you to the people. He shall be your mouth, and you shall be as God to him. Moses, Moses, don't you have a brother? Don't you have Aaron? Can't your brother Aaron speak well? So I'll send him with you. He's going to be waiting on you. He's going to be ready for you. And for the next 13 chapters, the older brother named Aaron is a tremendous help to Moses. Side by side, the mouthpiece for Moses, speaking with boldness to Pharaoh, let my people go. And by the time we reach Exodus 17, we find that their friendship and their relationship was about to be elevated to the next level. Moses had led the Israeli people out of Egyptian captivity at this point. And now they're in the wilderness. And in Exodus 17, we find something very interesting. We find the people of Israel fighting amongst themselves because they're thirsty. Arguing with anger because they're uncomfortable. Check it out in Exodus 17 and verse 1. All of the congregation of the people of Israel moved on. But there was no water in that place to drink. Therefore, the people quarreled. They argued. They fought with Moses. They started fighting Moses. They started questioning his leadership. And then it shifts to questioning the motives of God, to questioning the security of God, the presence of God. And then they start talking about going back to Egypt because maybe they had it better there than they do here. They made each other the enemy. They started fighting with each other. They started arguing with each other. They started pointing fingers and they started talking about splitting up. That's a dangerous place to be. Then we go forward eight verses to Exodus 17 and verse 8. And the Bible says this. Then Amalek came and fought with Israel. Then Amalek came and fought with Israel. Now, the Amaleks were a vicious group of people. They preyed on travelers and they only attacked when they knew they would be victorious. Because when they went in, they had plans to take whatever they want and leave the rest in ruin. This is an actual enemy. This is an enemy to be afraid of. This is the enemy to point fingers at. This is the enemy to fight with. This is the adversary. Ashburn, let that be a reminder to us. We have one adversary. We have one adversary, and it's not the person sitting next to you. It's not your pastor. It's not your small group leader. It's not another congregation. It's not another ministry. It's not the church down the street. It's not the person who left in a previous church split. It's not the president, and it's not a party. No, the Bible makes it very clear. In 1 Peter 5, 8, it says, be sober. Be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And I feel like the devil has unfortunately done a pretty good job of getting us to point fingers at one another, while meanwhile he circles around the camp getting the outsiders. 
I feel like the devil has unfortunately done a pretty good job of getting us all up in arms about other people who are serving God in different ways than we would do it. Meanwhile, people are literally dying and going to hell. I feel like the devil has done a pretty good job of getting us to become angry at each other for minuscule reasons like, oh, I'm thirsty. Meanwhile, the devil is doing what lions do. He's devouring. And today I pray that God gets our attention. Today I pray that we remember that the enemy is not each other. I pray that we remember that we have one adversary, and it's the devil. A few minutes ago I told you about me and my brother in our early pioneering days as Daniel Boone and Davy Crockett. Do you know when it stopped being fun for us? When the enemy stopped being the Redcoats and started being each other? Like at that point, it wasn't all fun and games anymore. I had nobody to explore with. I had nobody to build forts with. I had nobody to pioneer life with. And then I noticed that as we started to fight with each other, we started getting in trouble with mom and dad even more. And then we weren't even allowed to go outside. We were grounded. We were in trouble. It was not fun anymore because I made an enemy out of my brother. Man, Ashburn, if nothing else today, I pray that this could be a wake-up call to somebody. A friendly reminder that we need to know that the enemy is not the person sitting next to you. It's not your brother. Your enemy's not your friend. Your enemy's not a family member. Your enemy's not your ex. Your enemy isn't another church. Your enemy is the devil. And if he's gotten you to believe anything other than that, then you're losing the battle. In Exodus 17, we find one adversary. And to fight this adversary known as the devil, we understand that there are two approaches to finding victory against that enemy. Two different approaches. And the first approach we find in verse number nine. Check it out. So Moses says to Joshua, choose up for us men to go out and fight with Amalek. Moses said, hey, Joshua, gather up men able-bodied men, men who are willing and ready to fight to go out and have some hand-to-hand combat, some men who are just willing to get to work, to fight on the front lines. We literally call this a fight with our hand, a fight with a hand. And when it comes to the devil, there are times when we must get our hands a little bit dirty. There are times when we have to be on the front lines. There are times when we can't just talk the talk. We must walk the walk. Ashburn, you know this well. We live in Chicago, the third largest city in America. 2.7 million people. And in our city, the devil's been seeing a lot of victories. Like in the greater Chicago area, did you know that there are 58,273 people who are recorded as a part of the homeless community? That's just the people who are recorded. Over 58,000 homeless people in our city. According to the Chicago Food Equity Agenda in the late 2020s, 19% of people in Chicagoland faced food insecurity. That percentage rose to 29% in Latino communities. That same figure rose to 37% in African-American black communities. Our city has the seventh highest divorce rate in the entire country. In our our city, the greater Chicago area, an average of 1.1 million people aged 12 years or older used an illicit drug last year. That's over 15% of our population. And it's staggering when you compare that to this. 
Fewer than 22% of all people in the Chicago land attend church what they describe as regularly, which is twice a month. That means that drugs has right about the same amount of influence as the church does on our city. <laughs> Ashburn, I'm tired of losing. I'm tired of seeing the devil win victory after victory after victory in our backyard. Man, I think it's time that we have some men and women of God who stand up with the gifts that they've been given, who are willing to fight with their hands, to get their hands a little bit dirty, to see God win some victories in this place. People who are just willing to get to work. Like right down our hallway and to the left, we have a beautiful food kitchen that is rarely used. Meanwhile, right outside of that door in a minivan is a homeless person who literally lives out of their trunk. We could be doing more. Like we have a literal word of God in our hands where the Bible says we have the way and the truth and the life and that all answers to life are in this book. And yet we have people, 15% of our community, who consistently struggle with drugs and alcohol. We should have people who take them by the hand, show them the truth, and help them find the help that they need. Help them find Jesus. We have these amazing facilities that God's given us. And in our community, we've actually got around a 40% single parent home in this area right here. Man, we should be using these facilities to help single mothers, single fathers, broken families find a new heavenly father. I feel like a few of us need to get on the front lines. We've been given gifts and talents and abilities and skills. We were actually going through in our small group and talking about spiritual gifts that God has given us. And in our group alone, there were a half a dozen to eight different types of gifts in that single room in our small group. And some of you, God has given you ideas and strengths and strategies and leadership capabilities. And he's given somebody in this room a vision and a dream and an idea that God is going to use to reach our city. And we just need people like Joshua who grab some people around them in this place and says, let's get to work. Let's do something about it. Let's not just talk about needs. Let's actually get out and let's fight. We call that a fight with our hand, but there's a second approach. It's called a fight with our stand. We find it in the same verse. <clears throat> because Moses says to Joshua, hey, choose up for men and go out and fight with Amalek. And tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God. Moses says, hey, you go down and you fight with your hand. Meanwhile, I'm going to be up on that hill while I'm fighting with my stand. I'm going to stand. I'm going to stand. I'm going to stand in church just like we need people who are willing to fight with their hand. We need people who are willing to fight with their stand. Because in our Christian culture, there are values, good, godly values that are consistently under attack. And we need Christians who are willing to stand on the truth. In our world, the, the, the line between right and wrong is consistently bl being blurred. And we need Christians who are willing to stand on what is right. We need Christians who are willing to stand on God's view of marriage. We need Christians who are willing to stand on, on, on against unborn children. We need Christians who are willing to stand against bad work ethic. Stand for purity. Stand for murals, morals. Stand, stand for truth. Stand for the word of God. Who refuse to move. Who refuse to falter. Who refuse to give in. People who are just willing to stand. 
even when it gets difficult. I heard a story that describes the type of stand that I'm talking about well. It was a young nurse. <clears throat> she was actually finishing up her first day in the hospital. She had been in countless surgeries, and this is her final run one. And she stood in the room, and the doctor finished the surgery and began to sew the patient up. She said, Dr. Wade, we put in 12 sponges. We've only pulled out 11. The doctor disagreed. He said, I removed them all. We're going to continue with the surgery now. The nurse said, no. Like, we used 12 sponges, and there's only 11. He says, I'll, I'll take full responsibility. You can't do that, she blazed. Think of the patient. In that moment, the surgeon smiled and removed his foot, revealing the 12th sponge. He looked at the nurse and he said, you'll do just fine. And man, I hope we have Christians who have that same type of resolve, who know what they believe and know why they believe it. And then when it gets challenged, we just decide to stand to stand on what's true, to stand on what's right, and to refuse to falter, refuse to move. In Exodus 17, we found one adversary. We found two approaches to finding victory against that adversary. And as we finish today, we find three attention grabbers, three things that we cannot miss in this story. Here's the verse, verse one and verse 11. As Moses goes up to the top, stands on top of the hill, whenever Moses held up his hands, Israel prevailed. They won. Whenever he lowered his hands, Amalek prevailed. So Moses had to, first of all, stay steady. Stay steady. Keep standing, hands high. And as long as his hands were up, they were victorious. But as they began to drop, they began to lose. And so Moses had to have some kind of resolve to keep his hands up, to continue to stand and listen for us to actually see victory against our enemy, the devil. We need to stay steady. Like even when life gets a little bit difficult, we keep fighting with our hand and we keep fighting with our stand. Even when people tell us to stop, we do not stop. Even when people tell us to be quiet, we do not be quiet. We fight with our hand and we fight with our stand and we stay steady. But the truth is, we're humans. We're not perfect. We fail a lot. <laughs> and so try as hard as I want to. Hold my hands up as long as I can. Eventually they will get tired. And they'll start to fall. We're not perfect. We mess up. We fail. There are moments when we don't do what we should. There are moments when we don't say what we should. There are moments when we mess up. And in those moments, we need to remember, not only do we need to stay steady, we need to stay close. Here's what it says in verse 12. Moses, his hands grew weary. So will ours, by the way. So Aaron, her, took a stone and put it underneath of him and he sat on it. While Aaron and her held up his hands, one on one side and one on the other side, his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. Hey, there's Aaron again. The same dude that we found all the way back in Exodus 4 where God said, hey, don't worry, I'm going to send him with you and he'll be your mouthpiece. But in this verse, he's more than just a mouthpiece, he's a support. That's the person that God sent with Moses, standing side by side in this battle too. And as Moses' hands grew weary, Aaron held them up until victory was seen. Ashburn, stay close to each other. 
See, just like God gave Aaron to Moses, God has given you and me each other. He's given us the church. Let's hold each other up. Hold each other in prayer. Hold each other in encouragement. Hold each other in exhortation, making sure that we stay steady because there's a battle going on. And as we stay steady, we see victory. One of the strongest and largest horses in the whole world is called the Belgian Draft Horse. Competitions are actually held every single year to see which one of these things are the strongest. And one Belgian Draft Horse can carry up to 8,000 pounds. One horse, 8,000 pounds. But the weird thing is, if you take two Belgian Draft Horses that have never met each other, never spent any time together, and you put both of them to a single carriage, they can pull not 16,000 pounds or 20,000 pounds. No, 24,000 pounds. <clears throat> Three times as much as a single horse. Church, listen, by yourself, you might be able to do something. Might be able to help feed some homeless. You might be able to help meet some needs. You might be able to stay steady for a while. But together, there is strength in numbers. We are better together. And just like Aaron was holding up the hands of Moses, we have people in this place who want to hold up your arms. And I need you to hold up my arms. We need each other to stay steady because we are so much stronger together than we are apart. But how do we stay unified? Like we had Israel in the beginning of the story, remember? They're fighting because they're thirsty. We're all gonna have disagreements and frustrations and disappointments and disagreements with each other. How do we stay steady in those moments? Well, that's how we finish. Not only do we need to stay steady, not only do we need to stay close, we have to stay together, unified. And there's only one way that happens and we find it at the end of the story. It's in verse 15. And Moses built an altar to God and called the name of it, the Lord is my banner. Banner. A banner is something that identifies and unifies a particular group of people. For example, like a military flag or, or a military standard is often called a banner. <clears throat> so Israel saying, the Lord is my banner, is a way of identifying themselves as unified followers of God. In church, that's our banner too. He's our unifier. We all have differences. We all have frustrations. We all have angers. We all have things that we would do differently than the person sitting next to us. But we all have Jesus. And Jesus is the unifier of all nations, to the Jew and to the Greek, to anyone who believes he is a unifier because the moment that we have Jesus, we're family. That's a banner. You see, if you take two of those Belgian draft horses and you put them side by side, if they've never met each other, they could pull 24,000 pounds. But if you take those same two horses and you train them together and you allow them to work together consistently, they begin to think and pull as one horse. And the trained, therefore, the unified pair can pull not 24,000 pounds, but 32,000 pounds. Four times as much as a single horse, 8,000 pounds more than if they just stood by each other because they were unified. In church alone, trying as hard as we can, by the end, we're gonna grow weary. Together, it's a little bit better, it's a lot better, but it's still not complete 
because when we're together and we're unified with the Lord as our banner, we won't lose. I didn't stutter. We will not lose. Like that's what Jesus says. He says, I will build my church and the gates of hell, not Satan, not his adversaries, not his adversaries, not his demons, not his struggles, not his temptations, nothing will come against my church. We will be victorious. And so as you pioneer life, don't do it alone. Let's do it together. We're better pioneer our lives unified under God. Thank you so much for joining us. If you have any prayer requests or questions about your spiritual life, we would love to pray for you. Or if you would just like information about visiting us in person, please email us at chicago at ashburnbaptist.com or visit our website, ashburnchicago.church.